Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. My name is Fred, and I am the podcast principal. And it's a glorious day, and I'm pretty excited about this episode. We are going to talk about what prayer is. I am hoping and praying that beginning now, and maybe after a few redos of this episode, we will have a signature episode that we can replay once a month so that anyone who's listening for the first time or even after a while can remind themselves of what this podcast is all about, what it's supposed to be about. Our souls long to talk to God, and in our new spiritual state, we are less happy the less we talk to God. Okay, and as we do this episode, as we're getting into this episode, one more thing. This is longer than we normally do. I do pray that you might be able to get caught up in the flow of the episode today and listen all the way through all at once. But if you need to, listen to what you can take of my voice and then pause it until later on to the episode. So we're going to look at what prayer is today. And to do that, for our introduction, I have a confession to make and then an illustration to give. And then we'll launch into what is prayer. So the confession I have to make is that I am a sinner. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast, you are probably saying, you know, Fred, that's not exactly an earth-shaking confession. And I know it's not. But what I want to consider, because it will become important at the end of this episode, is that when the Bible calls us sinners, what it means is that every conceivable sin, anything we can think of, we could potentially do whatever it is. And that, we're going to talk about the essence of things today, that is the essence of being a sinner. Every sin you can think of lies potentially inside of you. I know it does me. I believe biblically it does you as well. And that's nothing new. Jonathan Edwards, way back in his day, was concerned about his congregation, about his community, because He saw them as willing to confess individual sins, usually when they got caught, but they didn't really believe they were by nature sinners. And that is important. And like I said, that will become more important as we get to the end of this. So I confess I am a sinner in every respect, even in the flesh, after I've been saved, the potential for sin and the actuality of sin is still there. Now, also by way of introduction, I want to tell you about one of my favorite TV shows, just real quickly. It's a show from Britain. It's called Doctor Who. And just hang in with me for a minute. It's a science fiction show. And there's a reason I'm pointing it out. Every once in a while, it skirts. In fact, there's a couple of episodes that really hammer home the abortion issue and the ugliness of it, even though they don't try. That's not their point. They do. And in this case, there's a couple of things about the show that run into the reality of being human. So, again, just hang in with me. The show's been on since 1964, and the two main characters that have been the same since 1964, again, just hang in with me, but the two characters that are the same is the Doctor, who's a race of beings call, called Time Lords, and he has a machine that's a time machine that's what makes him travel through time and space. And the machine is, is called the TARDIS, Time and Relative Dimension in Space. Now, this machine is sentient. It has a personality. 
it's still a machine and they can't talk and they communicate through the doctor throwing all his switches and stuff most of the time. And it hardly ever takes him where he wants to go because it's a person, it's sentient. And the other running gag in this whole thing, so the first one is the time machine has a personality. One of the other running gags is it's immense on the inside. It's probably a four by four by four foot box, tall box on the outside, but on the inside, it's huge and it has swimming pools and rooms and all kinds of things inside the TARDIS. And those two running jokes have been there since 1964. Now, my favorite, one of my favorite TV episodes of any kind, anywhere, again, just hang with me a little longer, is called The Doctor's Wife. And it's when the time machine, the TARDIS, the essence of the TARDIS, gets put into a woman named Idris. Now, there's two things that ring, that ring through this episode. The, the first one, the TARDIS in Idris. So Idris says, how can these humans be so much bigger on the inside? And she was astonished. We would say, because we know how big we are on the inside and how complex we are. And we use the phrase, at least in my culture, there's more there than meets the eye. And we know that that's true of us. And we know that that's true about other people. So that's one of the things she says, is these humans are bigger on the inside. In fact, I think she asks, how can they be so much bigger on the inside? And the second thing that runs through this episode a few times is that the TARDIS is astonished at the loneliness of a being human. And we know that that as well. In our hearts, we long to be fully known. That's why we have community. That's why we foster relationships. That's one of the reasons we get married is because we want to be known by someone else. The problem is, as sentient beings, notice I didn't say thinking beings, as sentient beings and prideful beings, we know our sin and our pride does not allow us to be completely transparent with others. Yet part of our deepest longing is to be fully known. So I'm confessing that I am a sinner, deep down a sinner, in the flesh a sinner, and that we know through this illustration, but actually through the reality, that we long to be known, but because of the, the walls that we put up around us, we don't let ourselves be known fully. Those two things are going to become important by the end. So what exactly is prayer anyway? That's our focus today. We aren't going to cover, well, we get to it by accident, but we're not purposely going to cover why we pray. We'll look at that again sometime in the future. But there is a pastor named Legan Duncan. He does a lot of other things, but he's a pastor. And he has an, a sermon that he's titled, Why Pray? I highly recommend that. Do a, do a search on your computer, whatever you use, and find Legan Duncan. Why pray? And do yourself a favor and listen to that sermon. The only note we are going to make about why pray at this point is at the very first, the very first thing Dr. Duncan makes a point of is no one in the Bible asks that question. Not once. God's people just pray. And as we get back to what prayer is, we know by their example what prayer is. It's talking to God. 
That's the immediate, concise answer. Your children know it from probably five years old and, and up. Now, prayer is a lot of other things, as we know and as we will grow to know in Christ. But in its essence, prayer is talking to God. Now, when we think of the essence of something, I want to illustrate that this way. What is the essence of being a human baby? It's crying, isn't it? As parents, we all know that. We've heard that. Or if you've been around little babies, you know that as well. And because they're little, they're babies. They need food. They need water. They need changed. Sometimes they get sick. Sometimes they get hurt. When you add all those up together, it equals crying. For the first few months, maybe up to two years old, the essence of babyhood can rightly be said to be crying. That's what babies do. We know that as parents especially. Now, biblically, I have my favorite prayers. I have several of them, many of them. One of them is Hannah in Samuel 1 when she prays for a son. Several times in the New Testament, and I'm going to try to include these to remember to, to include these verses when we get to the description. But several times, fathers and father figures call out to Jesus, typically to heal somebody they love. One of my favorites is in Mark, and these guys come, these four guys come, and Jesus is inside a house, and they go up to the roof, the sod roof, and they tear the roof off so that they can let their friend down to get healed. They, lay, they let him down through the roof right in front of Jesus. David cries out in Psalm 39, Lord, make me know my end. The psalmist prays in Psalm 42, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants after thee, O God. And when you think of all those things, what do they have in common? Desperation. Each one of those intercessors has done all that they can think of. Every human, every earthly thing that they could think of doing, they did. And none of those solutions worked. So they come to Jesus to talk to him. One of my other favorites is the woman who suffered 12 years from bleeding. She tried many doctors. They were the scientists of her day, by the way. And Luke tells us that after all those years and all those doctors, they only made things worse. Finally, we know in her heart, she said, if I can just reach out and touch this healer, Maybe I'll be healed. Quickly, I do, I do believe the roof thing, the woman reaching out, I consider them to be forms of intercession and prayer. So prayer is more than just talking to God. But once again, it's the essence of prayer. Now, as we're talking, I want to get back to the essence of babies. Because there's a very profound thing that happens very often. Our babies are crying. And we go into them wherever they are, maybe in their cribs. And we're picking them up and they don't seem to be wet and they don't seem to be hungry and they don't seem to be thirsty. They don't seem to be sick or hurt. So we pick them up. We hold them in our arms. We draw them close. We softly talk to them. And, and then what happens? They stop crying. Why? Because in that moment, in their babyhood, I don't even think that's a word, in their babyhood, they need to be close to us. They need to be close to mommy or daddy. They need to feel us holding them and talking to them. And it settles them down. And that's one of the beautiful things about being a parent. 
our babies have the deep need to just be close to us. That's all. Tender and wonderful times. Now back to what is prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, He desires us. He redeemed us to talk to Him. That's what salvation is all about, to put us back into fellowship with Him. Now a little contrast and some even greater news. God wants to hear from us. He wants us to talk with Him. A few years ago, when I was a young man, 20, so that was a long time ago, I met my hero, Mickey Mantle, my favorite baseball, baseball player. He was at a golf tournament. He came off the 18th tee, and this goofy 20-year-old rushes right up to him and puts in his face a homemade poster and a pen and asks Mickey Mantle to sign it. He did sign it. But he wasn't happy that I was there. He was not as happy to see me as I was to see him. And I kept the poster, and he's still one of my favorite baseball players. But I walked away from that meeting, sad. Now, imagine the creator, the sustainer of the universe. He lives in an unapproachable light, but he is ready all the time to entertain you and me anytime we want to go in and talk to him, or stop what we're doing and talk to him. He's all around us all the time. But the glorious thing, the wonderful thing, is he never makes us feel sad when we walk away. He's always ready for us to run into his presence. What a glory. He wants to talk to us. In fact, he has commanded, he saved us to talk to him, and he has commanded us to talk to him. Luke 18, 1. Therefore he was telling them a parable that at all times they ought to pray and to not faint. That's a command. But even more than that, what is more exciting than that is, he delights to hear from us. He delights to hear from you. That might be the best news. I don't know if you've ever read Proverbs 15, 8. I think we covered it once in the podcast. There, the inspired words of the Holy Ghost tell us that the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. God has no real interest in empty sacrifice from a wicked person. They can't sacrifice enough. They can't pay him enough. He doesn't even want what they are sacrificing. When you look at the gods of Mesopotamia around Israel, they made statues. And then they tried to feed the statues and give them baths and keep them safe and build temples around them. That's what false gods want. What the holy God of the universe, what he delights in is your prayers and my prayers. And we are upright in Christ. How great is that? That when we come into his presence, even with sorrow, even with confession of sin, he delights to hear from us. Now, the good news continues, because did you know your new inner man longs to talk to God? Again, that's why we were saved. That's what our new inner man longs for. And our goal as Christians is to move from sporadic calls of desperation, like we looked at in some of my favorite prayers or talked about shortly, or inconsistent times of prayer. Our goal is to feed our new inner man with conversation with God on a consistent basis. Your new soul, your new inner man longs for that fellowship. 
And when you think about friends or loved ones or spouses, the more we love someone, the more we want to spend time with them and commune with them. Some of you young people talk about community. What you're talking about is communication, knowing, and being known by other people. Once again, the psalmist says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. You can read in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. You have a new inner man. Ezekiel 11, we'll just hit on these references. Ezekiel 11.19 and Ezekiel 36 26 and 27, I believe, tell us that God takes out our heart of stone and he puts a new heart of flesh inside of us. And that heart longs to walk in God's statutes and keep his ordinances. And that new inner man longs for God. Now, that may be a new thought to you, or it may be new knowledge for you, but it's true. It's biblical. It's right there. You can look those verses up. And I believe with all my heart, mind, and soul that sometimes we are sad and sometimes we have unknown sorrows. Sometimes we have that general ennui, that word that we've talked about before, being carried away by sadness. And at the root of that ennui, that sadness, is our new inner man's longing for God. It's crying out, just like a deer longs for water, I long for thee. My soul longs for thee. Your new inner man wants to have consistent communion with the Holy God of the universe. Remember, prayer is more than just talking, but it is that in essence. But it's not like talking with your greengrocers, as they say in England. It's to commune with a God. It's to have fellowship with him. We are in converse, as the old Puritans said, with God. He is our main community. Prayer is talking to God, and as we pray and as we learn his word, we are unwittingly experiencing levels, different levels, of eternal life. You know our verse, John 17, 3. Eternal life is the intimate knowledge of the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou, who he has sent. As we grow in the word and grow in our desire, it keeps on growing our whole lives. We seek after God our whole lives. We know that that conversation has rules and grammar and humility, and yet our talking to him is the center of that. Real quickly here on a side note, I don't know if you've ever struggled with your assurance, circumstances, life, things happening the way you didn't want them to, your own sin, my own sin, sometimes causes us to doubt. But your desire, your new inner man, and his or her desire to talk to God is an assurance of your salvation. Think just for a moment about a prayer or prayer time of yours, just randomly. Think about going before God and talking to him, laying out your intercessions, laying out what you need to him. Now, take the time real quickly. Read Hebrews 11.1 1 and 11.6. And 11, I'm not going to read them now. But when you read them, what you'll discover is that faith is believing God whom you've never seen, trusting that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him, just to sum up those two verses. So prayer is indeed an exercise 
in my humble opinion anyway, it's an exercise of faith. And your desire to talk to him proves that you have a relationship with him, even though you may stifle it at times. Back real quickly, prayer is talking to God. More than that, like we said, it has form and grammar and substance, humility, knowledge, and even more. And you might say to yourself after all that, I don't know how to pray. And the fact is you do. You have already prayed. You have cried out at moments, at least in desperation, in your need or in your guilt, maybe fear. You have called out to God. You have prayed. You have talked to him. But it's not that consistent, soul-satisfying prayer that will help us experience eternal life. Now, believe me, I have heard the rules. I have learned of the rules of prayer. I, lo- I know the grammar, at least some. I know the approach to God in humility. But what I know most of all is calling out to God in desperation, those times when we can't do anything else but call out to him. I don't think I mentioned it. A few weeks ago, my oldest grandson, seven, fainted, fell right on his face. My wife came and said, you need to be praying for seven. He fainted. Nobody knows why. Nobody knows what's going on. And all I could do for two hours by myself was to cry out, Lord Jesus, he can't be dying. He can't be sick unto death. Take me. Take me. For two hours, I wept long and loud, so long that I hyperventilated several times. I had to stop. I had to gain my breath. There was no form to that prayer. There was no approach. There was no grammar. Just a cry from my broken heart, pleading for the life of my grandson. It's a scary thing when an 11-year-old falls on their face. For two hours, I cried out that way. And then all of a sudden, my soul calmed My breathing slowed down. My tears stopped. I knew in my heart that seven was okay. I thought for a moment, no, I need to just keep praying. But then I thought, no, the Lord has already told me. He's okay. So I stopped that weeping. I stopped that crying and went on to my Bible study. About an hour after that, we got the call. Seven was all right. And the praise and adoration then began in earnest and then began in tears. God had answered that prayer. In that moment, when I heard seven had fainted, I was that baby crying, screaming out with tears. In my supplication, I needed my Savior to pick me up and to hold me tight and to quietly talk to my soul. Seven was going to be all right. And then I shuddered my last tears and knew God had answered that prayer. The God of glory, the God of the universe, he listened not to the form, not to the words, not to the rules. He listened to my heart, and then he calmed my heart, and that's what I needed. Think again about human compassion when we start talking to God and you're praying, and you may have heard preachers, and they're preaching on prayer, and they may be talking about the grammar or the approach or the humility or the content, And the preacher says, either says it or sounds like he's saying it, that these are the rules and you have to come to God by those rules or he's not going to hear you. I've heard plenty of sermons like that. And maybe he implies the or else. But let me ask you this. Are we more compassionate than our Savior? Does he not understand when we need just to be held or when we need to cry out to him 
for our comfort. In reality, in this world, in our childhood, we have bad grammar. We don't know the, the pronouns even before they got complicated. We don't know all the rules. But when your baby, when your young child comes to you and messes things up, gets words out of order, do you push them away and say, don't come back to me until you get this right? No, you don't. You listen. I, for one, love baby talk. I miss baby talk. Our loving Heavenly Father, when we say it wrong, when we don't pray the way the preacher says, even if it's true, even if it's what the Bible says, but we're praying from our hearts and our souls, he doesn't push us away any more than we push our children away. He listens. How foolish of us to think that unless we say it exactly right, God's not listening. He is. He knows you're seeking him. He doesn't turn us away, sad or otherwise. Believe me, my beloved, he's waiting to hear from you, and he delights in it. Oh, and by the way, he's the one that's in charge of your growth. He's moving you along. He's teaching you his word. In my culture, we have grades through school, and we move up through these grades, or at least we're supposed to. I didn't always move up through the grades. He knows what grade you're in. He knows what to expect of you. He knows how to convict you to the rules and the grammar when you're ready for them. But he always hears and he always acts according to his will, even if we don't get it right. I'm not telling you to ignore the word of God or your pastors or your mentors in, in the Christian life. But I am telling you, if those grammars, grammar rules, whatever they are at all, all of them, if they get in your way, if you're not ready, if you're not ready for the at all, set them aside for a time and just keep praying. You won't draw closer to God if you don't start drawing close to God in prayer and keep drawing close to God in prayer. It's more important that you and I pour out our souls to him than for us to keep the rules. Again, the Lord, he knows, he convicts. He knows which one of the et alls, that means all of them, the total of them, that we need to know when we need to know them. Just keep seeking him in prayer. The rules make your prayer better. They do. They make them deeper. They make them more profound. They make them more satisfying, but never more satisfying than we and we, like a baby, call out to our Father, Father, I need thee. It is, after all, Jesus who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. That invitation is complete and it's open. There are no prerequisites except for being weary and heavy laden. And you'll learn the prerequisites in their time. But before them, keep calling out to him. The Holy Spirit himself tells us in Romans 8, 14 and 15, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Who cry out, Abba, Father? The sons of God, because they have a spirit of freedom and adoption. Abba, Father, what grammar is there? Is there in that? Abba, Father, no grammar, no rules, only the cry of a child to their daddy. In my life, 
in our lives, sometimes we have been too simple, too young, or hurting too much, that we can only bust into the throne room of God and pour our hearts out to Him. I'm telling you, my beloved brothers and sisters, He is ready to hear and respond. We have more witness to that. The Holy Spirit again tells us, in our weakness, our sins, and our sorrows, and our fears, and in the same way, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When you don't know what to say, I think Luther was a big proponent of this, and all you can do is groan, cry out, take me instead of seven. The Holy Spirit takes over, and he puts coherency into your cry according to the will of God. And the verse after 26 and 27 you probably know by heart. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's the answer. In your groaning, he's working it for your good. My beloved, we are called to talk with God. Our inner man wants to talk with God. He delights when we talk to him. Now you might be wondering, way back at the beginning, Fred talked about being a sinner. How in the world does that fit in? What do we need as sinners most of all? We need to know our forgiveness is complete. We need to know our faith is true. And when we are weary and heavy laden and we cry out, help thou my unbelief, that's a witness. And the Bible says the Spirit witnesses to us as well. When he moves us to call out to the Father, help thou my unbelief. That's a cry of faith. That's a cry of proof. And even more precious, he lets you and me, sinners, bust right into the throne room, come running in and tell him what is on our hearts. He also mentioned, again, you might be saying to yourself, Fred also mentioned Idris and people being complex and lonely. And the answer to being fully known is to call out to your father. The cure for our assur assurance and forgiveness is our cry, Abba, Father. The cure to our loneliness, is to realize our Creator, the one who knows us best, the one who died for us, He knows you. He knows your sin and your weaknesses. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 11 and 12, says, When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For we now see in a mirror dimly we see him dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully just as I have been fully known. Our need to be known when we can't be transparent to one another is to being known by the lover of your soul, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we can glory in that and remember that. Hebrews goes on to tell us, to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive a mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's what prayer is, drawing near with the confidence of our faith to the holy God of the universe, 
with whom, if you'll remember back in Hebrews 4, he says we are open and laid bare with whom we have to do. And he still tells us there to draw close in confidence, doesn't he? Even though he knows we're open and laid bare. He also tells us in Hebrews 7 that Jesus is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he lives to make intercession for them. I'm beginning to not like the term prayer warrior as much as I used to, but the reality is we have the two greatest prayer warriors ever in the whole universe praying for us. The Holy Spirit, we've talked about that a little bit earlier today, and Jesus making intercession for us. What is prayer? Talking to God. Why do we pray? Because we need that fellowship with him We need to be able to know that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And that does take care of as we practice prayer and and get used to it, become familiar with it. When it becomes our refuge in the day, our loneliness dissipates and our assurance grows. And we can confess with a David in the Psalms, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah, that means rest. Prayer is talking to God in growth as we grow, completely giving ourselves over to him. And the reason we pray is because we have the true needs of a true child and he is our father who is in heaven. And sometimes all we need is to be held and to be gently talked to and to feel the closeness of our Savior. That is the God we are commended to, and that is truly why we pray, why we talk to him. My brothers and sisters, we are commended to the God of our salvation. We are commended to the God who delights in hearing from us. Pray, pray, pray. Thank you, Jesus. Use your word. Accomplish your will. Amen.